When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday's Shaky Show. We've done things a little bit differently this week. Greg Haynes here, but I'm talking to you from home in Spain because this is Tuesday night. We've literally just recorded the show and we're going to play that in right here, right now. But the reason we've done it differently on the phone is because everybody had a rush back to Edinburgh Airport on Sunday night from Knock Hill, including Shaky himself. So we've just had a chat now. Let's have a listen in as we discuss what happened at Knock Hill. A bit of an update on Shaky's own personal situation and, of course, a look ahead to World Superbikes this weekend at Donington Park. Right, Shaky, I want to start by you imagining we're in a Chinese restaurant. There's one of those spinning turntables in front of us on the table. And we're going to spin that around with all the topics on and we're going to see what we get. So let's start with Xavi Forrest and the Honda uh, pole position at Knock Hill. They're making progress, aren't they? Um, yeah. I think they're making progress, that's fair to say. But I also think that that's such a, a refined package that when it's when it's in its little window, you know, it, it works really well. Um, I had a few conversations actually with Kevin Forrest before he signed for Honda, um, right towards the beginning of this year, I think it was. There was some stuff that was going to happen that I might have been a part of and he was sort of texting me backwards and forwards and he'd mentioned the offer that he'd had from Honda and I just said to him, look, you know, Honestly, and I'm not just saying this, I think the right rider on any of the top bikes in BSB can win races. Um, and the Honda Britain team is a is a fantastic team. Um, yes, the Honda's not the newest bike out there, um, but that has its pluses and its minuses because they know all the bad bits about it and they know all the good bits. So they, you know, they try to uh, minimalise the bad bits and, and sort of, you know, concentrate on the good bits and, yeah, I mean, who would have thought that, that Xavi on a, on a track they'd never been to before in, in probably the most difficult conditions ever would go and stick the thing on pole. But uh, yeah. he was saying he really enjoyed the bike. I know they've got a little bit of work that they're on with now. Um, and interestingly for me, actually, it's uh, it's work towards the direction that, that, that I used to go when I rode the, the HM plant Honda back in uh, 2011 because myself and Keo had two completely different engine specs. Keo liked the bike to be really talky. You know, the, the, the sort of instant touch of the throttle was really, really responsive for him. Um, the bike had a load of torque, but kind of run out of steam towards the top. But for me, one of the biggest problems with the Honda was the amount of wheelie and how upset it got when you had that kind of engine spec in it. So my bike actually wasn't anywhere near as grunty as Keo's, but the top-end power was was a bit stronger so mine was more lazy in the middle but once it got going 
it was quicker. And for me, that helped me to, you know, to control the bike on the exit of the corner and then maximise the power that I did have once the thing was up off the edge of the tyre. So I think that it sounds to me like, um, you know, that's, that's the sort of direction they're looking to go now. You know, the chassis where it is. They know what they've got. Um, and they just wanted to try in in the in the best possible way to take away a little bit of power from the mid range and sort of bolt it up the top. Um, how can we explain to people though that we've got Xavi Forrest third in race one, just to finish off the Honda point, and then eleventh in race two? But then again, Andrew Irwin, his teammate, had a good weekend, didn't he, in fifth? So it, is that just BSP with its nature of how close it is? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think that uh, you don't need to be missing very much at all. Um, to you know, to to sort of lose a little bit of time and not kill. You know, you need a a temp here and and a temp there. And if you're two temps off a lap, you know, mm. before you know it, on such a short lap lap, you're you know you're a couple of seconds behind. And and once you once you drop that much, it's hard to um, it's hard to to get anything back. You know, um, you know the the organisers always make a, a bit of a fuss about how close the lap times are and how there's 20 people within a second. But you know the lap the lap gets done in like 46 seconds or whatever it is, 48 seconds, I can't remember. Um, so obviously the, the lap times are going to be close, you know. Um, you know, that it, it's very easy and not kill. Um, as Scott Redding told us, as Javi told us, to be fair, um, it's very easy to get down to a lap time um, that's half respectable. It's just very difficult to, to find that. <laughs> it sounds as stupid as this, but yeah. so hard to find that last temp, you know. Riding at sort of 98, 99% of your ability and sort of almost feeling completely in control will get you to a certain lap time. But to get to the lap time you need to do, lap in, lap out and win races there, it feels like you have to go 200%. But at the same time, if you put in too much effort, and try too hard, you end up going backwards anyway. So it's a yeah, but I just thought we should you know? kick it off with Forrest because it could be somebody who's overlooked, obviously, because of what Danny Buchan did and Scott Redding, but they're definitely making progress with the Honda. Um, who do you want to talk about next, Buchan or Redding? Because they both deserve a mention, don't they? What a brilliant weekend for both of them for so many reasons. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, one last thing before we, uh, before we mm. sign off the Honda thing. Yeah. Let's not forget where the team had their only one-two in a very, very long time. Yeah. It's, somewhere, it's somewhere we're going in the not-too-distant future. Yes, yeah, um, true. You know, Snetterton, I think, is the next, uh, the next BSB round, and the Hondas traditionally go really well there. You know, the layout of that track's going to, you know, far more sort of suit the Honda. You know, Andy obviously knows the track very well. Chavney, I think, is going to really enjoy the track. Um, you'd be expecting big things from uh, from the Honda going forward. Yeah, that was who was that? Halloran and Linfoot, wasn't it? When they had their one two. Yeah, unfortunately, I got punted off the track by Leon Haslam at uh, turn three on the first lap, <laughs> uh, dropped to stone last, and then had to uh, charge my way back through the field to um, to finish third. So uh, yeah, he kind of took away my little sort of nine out of ten win record. So now it's eight out of ten. But uh, <laughs> there we go. That's that's another story. Actually, talking of Snetterton, I mean, we have seen quite a lot of carnage there, haven't we? Andy Irwin himself last year caused all sorts of problems, didn't he, down at the hairpin? <laughs> yes, he did. Um, that was, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the difficulty. You know, you, you've got quite a fast turn one that leads into a hairpin turn two. And, you know, you'll probably remember back to the days of places like Monza, where the first you came was always absolute chaos. Unfortunately, mm. you know, going into a, a hairpin as tight as turn two at... Um, Medicine does kind of lend itself to, uh, you know, 
over ambitious dives up the inside if you like and uh it's only got to go wrong ever so slightly and, yeah you know there's a lot of people around you to uh to take on a little trip that they didn't want to go on <laughs> well i've just got a document open in front of me here shane and it's all the um rider names and it's a bit of a preview you and i did at the beginning of the year and i've got the danny Buckham bit and you basically said danny needs a big year he's clearly a talented lad who goes at the job with 100 percent commitment and he's got to take that final step and win a race this year there's simply no other way to him for him to progress further if he doesn't win a race there you go he's won his race yep he listened um he did <laughs> um you know danny's a great guy and you know, that wasn't derogatory yeah. in any way, shape or form. What I meant by my comment was that on a superstock bike, the boy's untouchable. Um, on a superstock bike, he rides with a level of confidence that just allows him to do whatever he wants. You know, he's always been a Kawasaki rider, apart from his, his brief uh, spell with a motor torpedo team. Mm. But he's always been a Kawasaki rider. He's now on the Kawasaki superbike. And, you know, Nigel Snoop, Matt Llewellyn, Dave Parks and the boys have built a team around him that uh, makes him feel super confident and really, really confident, uh, really happy, sorry. Um, you can see when he's when he's riding well, you can see from his, uh, you know, from his body language, the way he kind of bounces around the paddock when he's happy. Um and yeah, that that win I think was really important because you know there's been a few guys, you know, Danny's had a few shots on a superbike now, and there's been a few guys that have kind of turned up and you know won a couple of races and then sort of found themselves in no man's land. But but Danny's had a few shots at it, and up until this point hadn't actually had a win. But now that win's there, um, I'm fairly sure with the way he's riding that bike at the moment that. That's not going to be, hopefully, his only win this year. Oh, yeah, I'd be surprised if it was. Is there something to be said, do you reckon, Shaky, for these smaller teams, people like Motor Rapido and FS3? You know, they've got much smaller budgets than the other teams around them, such as the JG Speedfit team or the BYZ Ducati team, the Bullbird team. There must be something to be said for that because they've got smaller budgets, a lot fewer people in the team, but they are still winning races up against these really heavily factory-supported guys. Yeah, I mean... Listen, I think it's uh, it's kind of credit in some ways to the you know to the set of rules that BSB has in place mm, because yeah. you know the the word factory um, the only the only team in that paddock that you could necessarily say you know runs themselves or whatever is the Honda team. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul Berg goes and buys Ducatis that you and I could go and buy, um, although he has um, staff from uh, staff from Ducati come over to, to run the bikes. You know, their bikes at the moment, apart from a swing arm, are absolutely no different whatsoever to, to Wilf's bikes. You could argue that, you know, Tyco get BMW support, but so do Smith's now. Um, you know, Honda racing is Honda Racing UK, Honda Racing Europe pay for that thing. So in essence, the only real factory supported team is, is Honda. Um, everybody else is a is a customer team with with support. So with the rules that we have in place in BSB at the minute from a technical side of things, um, anybody, and I mean anybody, could go out and buy a beer, uh, buy a, a, a road bike, take it out of a shop, you know, put some Olin's or KTEC suspension into it, Pituvo suspension or whatever, run the the Motec ECU, buy themselves a swing arm, you know, buy all the other bits and pieces, and in essence, go and compete with the right rider. But you know you can't buy experience and, and that's what win, wins races. So uh, there's a lot of experience in them bigger teams. So that's quite interesting then. So bearing that in mind, is it unfair really to say that people like FS3, Motor Rapido, to call them privateer teams when in essence, as you just explained, they sort of more or less all are privateer teams? 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't see, uh, you don't see, you know, Davide Tardozzi and Paolo Giubatti turning up at, uh, <laughs> at, at BSB rounds very often. And yeah. certainly don't see Claudio Domenicali. And, and you're, you're not likely to. Yes, they'll come along to show support. You know, Ernesto Marinelli came along to a couple of rounds, you know, whilst I was on the Ducati. But at the same time, you won't see the guy that runs the, the Yamaha MotoGP project come along to, to support McCam's Yamaha. You know, it, it's, it's not it's not how it is. In essence, they are all privateer teams. It's just a lot of them have, you know, support from the manufacturer. Okay, what about Scott Redding then? Because that is one, another impressive performance. I don't think it's fair to say that Knock Hills is difficult to learn somewhere like Alton Park. But then again, Scott Redding's gone to Knock Hill where pretty much everyone said, Ooh, that's going to be difficult for him. You know, he had to win Donington because that was a almost a dead cert. Knock Hill definitely won't be. He has gone to Knock Hill and he has won a race. Pretty satisfying for him. Well, if you read that um, that stats out that I that you spoke about earlier on, um, mm. when I said about Danny Buckham, yeah, if you uh, if you look what I said in my thing about Scott Redding, yeah. it was that his speed is unquestionable. Um, his talent's unquestionable. Yeah. Um, the only question mark for me will be how he adapts from a, a 30 degrees Mugello, yeah. you know, Catalonia or, or whatever to a, a damp, wet, horrible, cold, freezing, you know, autumn park or knock hill. And, you know, on the on the Eurosport, you know, TV coverage, it almost feels like we're we're getting to a point now, kind of like we are with Alvaro Batista, where you know you kind of run out of good things to say about the guy. I think that there's absolutely, in my opinion, at the moment, no um, no dent in his armour. You know, he's he's kind of he's just doing everything right. He's embracing everything. You know. There's riders that turned up there. There's a prime example for you, right? And it's not a put down to Tommy Bridewell, but Tommy Bridewell simply didn't want to be at Knock Hill. He doesn't like mm. riding there, you know, doesn't feel safe there or whatever, and went there as the championship leader to to get through that weekend. Scott Redding, on the flip side, um, had only had sort of 20-odd laps at a test there. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Knock Hill's fun because yeah. it's, it's a new track. It's somewhere to go and learn. It's something to go and discover. And the boy just loves riding his motorbike. So... You know, if you if you think about them two mindsets, one went there thinking, oh, this is brilliant, and then hmm. going and race. I'm really looking forward to this. Hopefully, I'll do a good job. The other one went there thinking, oh my God, I'm leading the championship. I hate this place. Can't stand it. I just want to get through the weekend. And you know, one of them won a race, and the other one didn't. So you know, that the mindset taken into that weekend, you know, determined very much the outcome overall you know it's really curious what you say there because all the great champions i've spoken to you know whether it's you from bsb uh, freddie spencer who we had on the eurosport broadcast last year you all stress that it's all in the mind you i don't know quite what percentage it is but so much of it is in the mind and i think we're seeing that with bradley ray as well aren't we there's another good example isn't it amazing that mentality what a difference it makes the difference it makes do you know what i've i've um Obviously, Bradley doesn't live a million miles away from me. Uh, yeah. You know, he's on the on the south coast of England and uh, yeah, probably an hour away at best. And uh, I tried to talk to him a few times. In fact, the first time I really tried to talk to him was um, last year after he'd done the, the double at Domington. I saw him at Brands Hatch with a load of journalists around him and, mm. you know, a load of media pressure and stuff. And I just said to him, listen, what you did at Domington was was." pretty special in really difficult conditions don't get 
drawn into this whole media thing and, and you know what I mean? Don't let everybody yeah. drive you mad. Just just enjoy riding your motorbike. Say what you've got to say when you're asked a question, but don't don't let anybody lead you up the garden path with, with interviews and, and tie yourself in knots with worrying about what you did say or what you didn't say. Just enjoy riding your bike. And he was like, oh, thanks for that, blah, blah, blah. And I've spoken to him a few times since and I've sat down in the garage a couple of times last year and this year and tried to tried to work through his problems with him. But, you know, one thing I will say um, is that I think that the, that the, the Hawk team there, they've done a, such a good job because, you know, ultimately they are the Bitubo um, suspension importer for the UK. And what, what they've done with Bradley this year is basically iron out any possibility whatsoever that it's his bike that's the problem because they've given him a new swing arm, the factory swing arm he wanted. They've given him the Olin suspension that he thought was the thing that was going to make the difference. And now we can see step by step the confidence coming back. Difficult thing for somebody like Bradley is he's come from super sport, um, very, very good at carrying loads of corner speed, but started crashing on the front. And once you start crashing on the front, it's difficult to commit as much as you did before you crashed. Mm. And obviously, when your forte is going around corners fast and you can't go as fast because you've lost a bit of confidence, the lap time suffers. And then you feel like you're doing everything you can to get around the problem, but it's just not enough. But as I said, the team have done a great job, I think. They they basically took any any responsibility they could to to ensure that he's got the best possible package um and now i think they're starting to see the you know the fruits of their labor because it looks like he's coming back and let's not forget i know he crashed out of the out of the races last year at snetterton but he was the guy that was you know going to go away and, and win the races how do you i mean this obviously is a question that could be a whole podcast itself and probably should be one day but when you're winning so frequently how do you keep up that motivation how do you you know not take your eye off the ball or get distracted or get bored or whatever what do you have to do to keep going for as long as you did for example should i tell you what you have to do go on just let a few people that you can't stand yeah um tell you or ask you how much longer you're going to go on <laughs> you know i got more satisfaction out of beating kids who i'm old enough to to father hmm. um and and staying sharp staying in front doing doing everything you get asked every single year oh, you know you're 40 now you must be thinking about hanging up your levers soon you know you've had a good career oh you're 41 now have you not thought about hanging <laughs> up your levers you've had a good career oh you're 42 now oh hold on a minute you've just done back-to-back championships you must be thinking about hanging up your levers now and nothing could be further than the truth because mm-hmm. you know the buzz of the buzz of winning a race is one thing but the buzz of proving every, everybody wrong is a is an even bigger one and the links that I'll go to to uh, to make sure that I stay in the front are, are links that, that clearly nobody else will. Otherwise, I still wouldn't be winning. And let me tell you, if, if September goes the way that, that we all hope and pray it goes, um, nothing would give me better satisfaction than spending September through till March getting as fit as a fiddle and making a comeback. Even if it was only to win one race, just to, to stick a middle finger up at everybody and say, see, told you you can't beat me um and, and then go from there it's a it's a funny thing because you know somebody asked me um on twitter the other day um shaky given the given the current results how do you think you'd do if you was out there would you would you be winning and 
Oh, all I could really, I answered it, of course, with a winky face, right, as in being <laughs> funny. But then yeah. sit here and be me, right? Aside from Scott Redding, who's the only person I've never raced in the British Superbike Championship, without blowing smoke up my own backside, the rest of them I've been finishing first or second to for the last seven years or six years. Why yeah. would I look at anybody on the grid right now and think, oh, no, I could possibly be... I don't know, Tommy Bridewell or Jason O'Halloran or any of the other guys that I've already raced. Of course, I feel I could beat them. The only one I don't know is Scott because I've never actually ever raced him. But, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? You know, let's let's see what uh, let's see what September brings and maybe we'll get the chance to prove it. Let's just say that, I mean, obviously, this is a theoretical question, but let's just say you hadn't had the accident. You'd gone on. Mm. Let's just say you'd won the title last year and made it seven, which was very likely. I mean, it might not have happened, but there's a, I think it's fair to say there's a good chance it would have done. How then would you know how long you should keep going for? Because Do you wait till you stop winning or no, is it a family thing? Or? My, Go on. my plan, my goal um, is to achieve 100 wins before I decide what I want to do. Ah. Um, that was a target I've got in my head. And and the other thing that, that people don't realize is that when I'd done my two-year deal with Paul in 2016, it was because I fought in 2018. So last year, the V4 race bike was going to be ready. Yeah. And I wanted to spend the first year developing it, yeah. you know, try and win a championship on it, back that up with another championship, which would have, in theory, when you average out my wins, it's like 10 races a year or 12 races a year or whatever that I win would have took me to my 85. That would give me a couple of more titles. And then I could have thought, right. Yeah. How do I feel about BSB right now, or how do I feel about racing right now? And then, and then start to think, right, okay, um, bike's great, still enjoying the team, or maybe I fancy a change, or maybe, you know, the one thing I've never done is race a, super, a Yamaha superbike. That's one thing I'd like to do. Um, you know, I think the Yamaha would suit my style. So who knows? Maybe we could have, you know, won another title or two with Ducati, and then had a had a little go on a Yamaha or something, and just saw if I could, you know, win a championship on another bike. I've done it on a on Kawasaki's, obviously, um, and I've done it on Ducati, so I've done it on a twin and I've done it on a four, but uh, it would have been nice to have done it on a on a different four, maybe, as well, you know? Well, Michael van der Mark's going to try and ride at Donington this weekend, but if he can't, there's a Yamaha Superbike there, and you're going to be there. Yeah, there's also going to be a couple <laughs> of Tyco, Tyco BMWs as well, but uh, yeah. unfortunately, uh, I'm a little bit too fragile at the moment, and you know yeah. what, Greg? Honestly, the um, the appointment in September is drawing ever closer, and mm. I built myself up massively for for February, thinking, right, this is it. All I need is the all clear, and you know, we can start training. We can start thinking about maybe a wild card ride this year or whatever. Thinking that since November last year, you know, another six months or four months or whatever it was, I was going to be almost brand new. But when I got told actually nothing, nothing's really changed at all. It was like somebody kicked me in the gentleman's area so hard yeah, I didn't yeah. even know what had hit me. So, you know, a massive part of me wants to be super excited about the fact that, you know, we're only two months away now from September because, you know, ultimately we could be two months away from me here in uh, actually saying, yeah, things are coming together now. You know, you're healing up good and your body's going to be strong. We'll take all the metal work out of you and, and you know, you could be good to go for perhaps 2020. Um but at the same time, I don't want to let those thoughts entertain my head because if I get to September and get similar news to that one that I got in February, then in essence, there's a there's a fair chance that it's all over. So as much as I want to be super pumped and super excited, I'm also trying not to be too excited because I don't know if I'll cope very well if I get told it's over. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. But it does sound though, and I mean, you've said it all along to be fair, and I think this is what everyone's really enjoyed about you doing the podcast and being on the Eurosport show, is the honesty. And it does sound very much as though if they do give you the all clear and you can have the metal work taken out, that you will you will come back. You're not just saying that, are you? Oh, mate, I would love nothing more than to become a thorn in everybody's side again. <laughs> um, it, it, nothing would give me greater pleasure than than going from the you know how I feel right. Now, bear in mind, I'm probably about I'm not allowed to train at the minute, right? So I'm maybe yeah I'm maybe six kilos overweight or something like that. I'm nowhere near as lean as I normally am. I feel like the laziest, fattest piece of garbage you could ever possibly imagine i feel <laughs> you chose your words carefully there. yeah i feel so fragile yeah. you know so so kind of um almost like defenseless you know i don't know i don't know what my body can take and i don't know yeah. what's gonna gonna be a little bit too much and you know, sometimes I try and pedal on a stationary bicycle and I feel absolutely fine for a week or two doing it. And then one day I'll get on and I'll not push so hard, um, just have a little steady pedal just to kill a bit of time. And, and, you know, it creates all sorts of problems for me. And I think, well, I've been fine for the last two weeks. Why do, you, why do I have a problem now? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't understand it. And because I don't understand it, like I don't understand what the doctor's going to tell me, it worries me. I've gone from feeling invincible for the last 20 odd years, you know, firing myself at barriers and breaking bones and, you know, rolling through the gravel trap thinking to myself, right, okay, we've done a collarbone. Okay, that's only two weeks. That's all right. Okay, I've broken a wrist. Right, that don't matter. That'll be two or three weeks and I'll be back. Yeah. Um, to all of a sudden, being in a situation where, you know, you, you pedal a little bit too much on your bicycle, which isn't a little bit too much at all because you're not allowed to train too much anyway, and it gives you all sorts of grace. So sometimes, I'll I tell you what I did the other day. I slipped off a, a step walking down the stairs mm -hmm. and kind of fell down and didn't quite touch my bum on the step, but sort of took a bit of a jolt. And I just sat there and sat there stationary for like 20 seconds thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, please tell me I haven't done no damage. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you, you can't imagine how, for somebody like me, how hard that is to deal with because normally nothing's a problem but right now everything is i just want to get to september and i just want to hear my surgeon say shane it's cool or, or shane it's not because this living this life where you're just kind of you know scared to trip over is 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 not a bit of me at all is it just to close that topic is it almost like you know because you're such an independent guy and you still are now not as much as you want to be but you know mentally you still very much are is it a lack of control you know you're racing at least for now has been stopped not through your decision you're having to do things that you don't want to do it's like a lack of control isn't it and i mean that in a good way obviously but that it is isn't it well I think I think the problem is that when you're when you're a racer, yeah. um, and when you're when you're as, as focused as as most of most of us are, you kind of feel like a you know like a police horse with those blinker things. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you're not allowed to to look out. Yeah. Because you're focusing solely on one thing. You know, your your whole life evolves around your your very next race, and that that revolves around the result that you've just had as well. Because the old saying in racing is you're only as good as your last race. 
Um, so if your last race was a good one, you feel super pumped to, to train even harder or to, you know, do something even better so that the next race is going to be even better. And at the same time, if your last race was only a third or whatever, you're like absolutely fuming because you got beaten by two people and you want to go out and try even harder so that you can make sure the next time you do win, you know? So yeah. racing's a, a funny old thing and the way it gets you, it's, it's so blinkered, but you know, imagine imagine somebody taking them blinkers off of you and sort of shutting off the bit where the racing was, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you feel like uh, you feel like this sort of vulnerable, um, you know, almost almost um, pathetic kind of human being that's just existing to get to his next hospital appointment to find out whether or not he is broken bad enough to continue. Do you know what I mean? It sounds a bit like an elderly life, doesn't it, at the moment, as you know, all of our grandparents find out. It sounds like that sort of existence, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah, it's not cool. It's yeah. not a bit of me. Um, just one more thing before we go. There's a quick question here from Stephen Proctor on Twitter to The Shaky Show. Yep. Uh, and it's just about World Superbikes because we've got World Superbikes this weekend. Yep. Question for The Shaky Show. Is Charles Davis at risk of losing his job to Scott Redding? Now, obviously, you're a Ducati man, or at least you were the last time you raced Shaky. What do you reckon? I reckon that um, Alvaro doing the job he's doing obviously isn't helping Chaz. Um, mm. with the job he's doing, you know, Chaz has been, you know, Ducati's kind of mainstay for the last sort of three or four seasons and generally finished in front of his teammate in, in the championship before. However, not only is Alvaro, um, you know, in front of him in the championship, there's one like 15 of the first 18 races or whatever there's been, you know? Yeah. So when, uh, when Ducati look at that, and they look at the fact they've got a Brit um, in an Italian team with an Italian Aruba sponsor who would desperately love an Italian on the bike. Of course, it's got to put Chaz's job at risk. You know, the the one thing that racing really is, is, is cutthroat, you know. Um, a prime example of that is um, a certain team went to uh, Knockhill last weekend with, with two riders and come away with three broken legs. And I had a rider from outside of the championship text me after the first one had crashed saying, do you think it's a good idea if I give Philip Neal a call? And you think, are you really that savage? Now he's got two riders with broken legs. Yeah. And you think now's the time to... But but that's how it is, you know? That's that's being a racer. That's, that's uh, you know, anybody would give anything to, to jump into your your situation and... Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty cutthroat, savage sport. I mean, at, at world championship level, there's a lot of politics that go on. But um, you know, that's a clear indication to, to anybody that's listening, and to Stephen, of just how how difficult things are. You know, they won't need too many more bad results. And I don't mean that horribly to Chaz, but you know, um, how can I say this? Bad results compared to his teammates yeah. before they do start to question their uh, their rider decision. Yeah, well, we're going to get decisions, aren't we, over the next few weeks, I would imagine, the next few months. Okay, well, there you go, Shaky. You're uh, in your back garden. I'm at home in Spain, and uh, I think we're just enjoying the weather a bit now, aren't we, before we get to Donington after yeah. all the rain we had in Scotland. Do you know what? I, I can't get over it, you know? Like, uh, I was getting pictures from my wife with the kids with the sprinklers on and everything, like I know, jumping, through, uh, jumping through the water just to, just to keep themselves cool and stuff. And uh, we were up there with a different kind of water, keeping us more than cool. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah. you know what? I feel so, so sorry for the Knock Hill organisers because obviously it's a track that MSB don't own. Um, so, you know, Knock Hill obviously have to pay for, for the BSB show to go there. And they put so much hard work in, so yeah, much effort. Yeah. And they're such a great bunch of people. Um, it's just unfortunate that this year the weather didn't play ball because obviously they need they need crowd in there to, to, to return that investment that they've made in having the show there. And you know, when the when the rain comes down, you know, generally speaking, a lot of motorbikes don't come out, um, as in spectators. So uh, yeah, you got to feel a bit sorry for them because they do make every possible effort. But not even I, Greg, not even I can control the weather. <laughs> Are you sure? I mean, I mean, you must be able to. But I do try. Spin your spin your Chinese restaurant turntable. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. I do take. <laughs> absolutely no hint of a jacket anywhere in the summer just to try and keep the rain yeah, away. Yeah, I do that. It doesn't seem yeah, it's a good way of doing it, isn't it? And unbelievably, on the Monday morning when I was still in Scotland, it was a lovely day. Unbelievable. Always away. Yeah. All right, well, I will see you at Donington. You got anything exciting going on before we get there? I have, actually, yeah. Um, what have I got on? I've got... Uh, I had a, another hospital appointment Monday. Uh, which is why I was so desperate to get back on Monday night, uh, Sunday ah, night, sorry. There you go. Um, I have a meeting, actually, well, a couple of meetings, actually, in London on Thursday. Uh, I'm having a day out with my wife tomorrow because we don't really get to spend that much time just, just together. Good for um, you. Friday, I'm going to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and I'm hoping... Um, weather depending and machinery depending that um i'll actually be flying the helicopter up to um to donington for world Superbike this weekend and leaving it there over weekend and then flying back on sunday night so oh, really nice. looking forward to that all right we'll look upwards then for you see you coming in see you there mm. good right greg thanks mate thanks shaky so thanks very much for listening in. Thanks from me, Greg Haynes, and of course from Shaky Byrne himself, the six-time BSB champion. And who knows? Who knows? Just because he's won 85 races doesn't mean he's not going to come back and win more. The enthusiasm is as strong as ever. But from a very humid and a very hot Barcelona, bye for now. We'll be travelling to Donington Park for World Superbikes this weekend. We've had four weeks in a row of non-stop Superbike action and three more to go. Donington now, then it's Laguna Seca in California, and then BSB returns after two weeks off from Snetterton in Norfolk. Let's see how those Hondas go there. We'll see you then from Donington. James Whittam and I will be live for free practice on Friday morning. Hopefully, touch wood, fingers crossed, and everything else, it will be dry. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 